So welcome to Unit 7 and throughout Unit 7 we're going to be talking about strategies. So we're going to look at how strategies work inside the individual for producing behaviour. And of course that's what we're primarily interested in. In this case is the way that strategies actually will produce a certain behaviour in an individual. Okay so let's go to the first page in our strategies unit which is page 74 and the theory is that a strategy is a specific syntax of internal and external human experience which consistently produces a specific outcome. Now our personal experience as human beings is an endless series of representations both internal and external. In order to take this endless sequence of internal representations it's useful, I think, to suspend the process and then to contextualise it in terms of outcomes. Strategies are an extremely powerful part of NLP. And the reason is because everything that we do involves strategies or actually strategies involve everything that we do. So all of our day to day activities generated and maintained by a variety of strategies. Whether or not we finish what we do, or whether we can just get into it, all of that is related to a strategy. We've got strategies for love and for hate. We've got strategies for learning, forgetting, parenting, sports, communication, for decision making, happiness. We've even got a strategy for sex for reassurance, for eating, for health and also for disease. We have strategies for creativity, relaxation, tension, fun, boredom, wealth, depression, marketing and even poverty is a strategy. Everything that we do is related to strategy. Now that's that's a good good in a way because if we find a good strategy it's also important because we can find a bit if we behind find a behavior we don't want anymore we can get rid of it by simply taking out that strategy and changing it and if there are any behaviors that you've got that you'd like to get rid of think about that there are behaviors that you've gotten gotten rid of that don't serve you and behaviors that you aren't perfectly happy with well, quite often strategies are the key. So when we look at page 74, we can notice some of the basic strategies that Robert Diltz researched in. The Robert Diltz researched and the main ones are decision making strategies, and these are the sequence of mental steps and actions someone uses in order to make choices decisions or to commit to a course of action. Motivation strategies, the sequence of mental steps and actions a person uses to inspire themselves to take all of the action necessary to get what they want. We have belief or convincer strategies and this is the mental processes through which a person becomes convinced of the validity of an experience or proposal. We have memory strategies, the specific mental steps that a person goes through in order to store and recall information from the environment or constructed through internal processes. We have learning strategies, the mental steps a person uses in order to develop and acquire new thinking skills 
and behavioural capabilities. Creative strategies, which are specific sequences of mental activity through which someone produces new possibilities and ideas with regard to a situation, activity or object. And reality strategies, which are the sequence of mental tests and internal measures that someone applies in order to assess whether or not a particular event or experience is real or really happened and allows them to separate fantasy from reality. Now, strategies are useful when you're working with clients to assist them in improving their ability to get motivated, their ability to make decisions. And also in relationship counselling, we're, we're talking, going to talk about all of that as we move into this approach. So everything we do is controlled by strategies and we can even take out a strategy that's not working. And we'll talk a little bit about how to do that when you come to the live trainings. So that's what strategies are and they're very, very exciting. They're fun to do and they're pretty easy to do because all you have to do is simply watch, pay attention to what the client's doing and listen to what they're saying. You'll notice what the client's doing with their eyes, with their physiology and with their breathing. And this will give you a lot of information. So I suggest here that if you've not watched the unit on eye patterns yet, right back in the basics of NLP unit, then you need to go back and take a look at eye patterns and because it's important that you know here whether someone is normally organised or reverse organised. Now there are certain things that each client does or each person does inside of their heads. These are the things we're going to pay attention to and attempt to note down as elements of the strategy. So let's find out what the different components of the strategy are. What the client's doing inside his or her head. What are the various possible things that we can have in a strategy? So let me give you some examples of, what, of this while you take a look at page 75. So the major components of a strategy are going to be the elements of the strategy and the sequence in which they occur. Now the different elements include, as you might expect, visual, auditory, auditory digital, kinesthetic, olfactory and gustatory. Now if you take a look there and the where the italic words are of those different elements you can see there are some other points that come underneath those. So if you take a look at those you can see that visual you, you've got the, it can be external or internal so external could be seeing something outside of you and your visual internal could be a picture inside of your head. And an internal picture can be either constructed or remembered. So a constructed picture is seeing something that you're not necessarily remembering that you're making up inside your head and perhaps because perhaps it's something you've never even seen before. Or it could be imagining yourself as someone that you're not or even imagining something silly like, for example, can you remember a time, maybe a long time ago, when you saw an animal and instead of just an animal, a certain animal. Now imagine that animal with another animal's head on its body. Hmm. Now, that's just a, that's a constructed picture. And there's, that's an in, internal constructed picture. And rather than you probably going to remember each element separately, but you'll construct them separately in your eyes and hopefully went to a different place for them. 
for auditory we've got internal and external and constructed and remembered so auditory external is obviously hearing something outside of yourself auditory internal is something inside of yourself so auditory external might be something outside like the phone ringing and auditory internal might be remembering a song or making up a song that you hadn't heard before so remembering a song would be auditory internal remembered and making up a song would be auditory internal constructed. Okay, then there's auditory digital, which is primarily internal and generally internal. It's simply your internal dialogue. The element of kinesthetic is next and we can have kinesthetic external and internal and kinesthetic internal can be constructed or remembered. But let's talk about that. The kinesthetic external is a feeling necessarily outside yourself, which means you might be touching something or it might be feeling your legs at the back of the chair at the back of your legs when you're sitting down. Kinesthetic internal might be a kinesthetic state, like a happy state or a sad state. And that would be a kinesthetic remembered thing, like remembering a time when you felt happy. Or it could be a constructed thing, like, can you imagine feeling really, really happy? And then as the happiness you feel, as you imagine doing that, it's going to be kind of sort of constructed. Now, proprioceptive is about the sensation you have of where you are in relation to space, like picking up a cup. Whereas tactile is the sense of touch. So that would be the sense of touch, the feeling outside of you, but could also remember a tactile feeling as well. And there's one other, which is kinesthetic meta. And meta means an overall feeling about something. So if somebody said to you, how do you feel about that? Well, that would be a meta kinesthetic. And that could be constructed or remembered. So all of those are under kinesthetic. And there's actually a lot of stuff that goes under a kinesthetic rep representational system. Now there's olfactory and there's external olfactory like you smelling cookies and the internal olfactory would be constructed or remembered. So that would maybe be you remembering the smell of cookies or the smell of cookies with pizza dough on pizza or that, that would be those. And gustatory is also external and internal. So gustatory external, of course, is the sense of taste, like what does that candy bar taste like? That's, of course, gustatory external. Then internal would be in your mind. So even though it's in your mouth, we're going to call it external because it's the sense of taste actually going on at the moment. Then gustatory internal is going to be the constructed and remembered part of it. So gustatory remembered would be... Let's see, remember the, remembering the taste of cookies. Gustatory constructed would be, well, what would it be like if you put Parmesan cheese on those cookies and figuring out how that would taste? Anyways, those are all the possible elements that go into a strategy and we want to discover those. Now we can discover these in a couple of different ways. So let's get a little bit more theory first before we go into that. Uh, let's talk about the tote model of strategies and how the tote model actually works. And you can find this on page 76. 
So the TOTE model was first formulated in The Structure of Behaviour, Behavior, published in 1960 by Miller-Galanta and Pribben. And TOTE stands for Test, Operate, Test, Exit. Or sometimes you might hear it called Trigger, Operate, Test, Exit. And there's a diagram that you can see there at the top of page 76. So the first test where it says um, set or access the criteria for desired state within the diagram, the first has to be a cue or a trigger that begins that strategy and it establishes the criteria which are going to be fed forward uses a standard for the second test. Now the operate part is where we access or gather data by remembering, creating or gathering information required by the strategy, either internally or externally. The operation part is the main section that we're dealing with. When in NLP we say strategy and that's where we access or gather your data, it's the doing of that. Now the second test of test operate test is a comparison of some of the access data with the criteria that's been established by the first and the first and the and the two things are then compared are generally represented within the same representational system and that's useful. So there's some kind of as aspect of the access data that's compared somehow in a second. And then there's an exit decision point or a choice point, which is represented of the results of the test. So if there's a positive exit from the stra strategy, and if there's not a positive exit, there'll, there'll be an error or mismatch and the entire strategy can cycle. So the strategy can cycle by changing the outcome or redirecting itself. It can adjust to criteria that can chunk laterally, laterally or reorient itself. Or it can refine or further specify the outcome. Or it can access more data. So if we turn to page 77, we can see here the strategy process and design and right at the top here we have a great mnemonic in ducky so the first thing that we're going to do within a strategy is discover the person's current strategy through the process of elicitation then we'll you and we'll come to how we elicit things in a, mo a strategy in a moment then what we might do is we actually might utilize the strategy by feeding it back to the to the person in the ordered sequence that it was elicited. The next stage in helping someone change a strategy if needed is to actually chain and design a new strategy. If the strategy isn't working for someone, then we can make changes in that strategy and design a new strategy so that it produces the desired outcome for the client. And then we'll install that new strategy if needed. I think it will be useful for you at this point if you haven't already read the reading materials on strategies before we proceed. If you haven't done that, if you can read the reading materials within the that are in the group on strategies, go ahead, go and write the read, read the reading materials on strategies. Pause the program here and come back when you're ready. All right, so welcome back. Now, here's the question. Why in the world would you want to learn how to elicit a strategy or even to work with strategies? In fact, that's a really good question. 
Now, in order to talk about strategies in a useful way, I think we should first talk about eliciting a strategy. So, in order to elicit a strategy, first per turn to page 79. And if you turn to page 79, then we can see how you do that. So, the first question you could say at the bottom of that page there are some questions that you can elicit strategies in terms of the test operate test exit so i'm just going to pop the tote model back on there so you can see that and go to the bottom of page 79 so the first question that you could say is how do you know it's time to do something when did you start what was the trigger for you to start now the operate questions would be what do you do how do you do it and how do you know there are alternatives what has to be satisfied in order for you to know and how do you know you've achieved what you set out to do and then to elicit the exit you need to know how do you decide what to do next How do you know or what lets you know that you've decided? Now, a great way of finding that very first trigger and really deep in, digging down to exactly the point where a particular strategy is being run, we can utilise a script at the top of page 79 where we ask the client, remember a time, a specific time, and that you were totally, let's say, motivated. We use motivated a lot, don't we? there is a you will have a motivation strategy so check that out at the page at the top of the page remember a time a specific time as you as you felt motivated and as you go back to that time now what was the very first thing that happened that's going to get the person to the beginning of the strategy and is going to be the tr trigger so you might have noticed on page 78 there are some NLP notation things there and we'll go over that a little bit closer when it comes to the live practitioner and you might have noticed this notation when you were looking through the reading materials on strategies too so it's important and something to start getting used to soon and it helps when you notice that someone is using a visual strategy that you can you only need to write down V for visual rather than writing down visual by the way looking at the person we can discover that paying attention to them we can also watch their eye patterns and we can look at everything we need to see and everything that we hear we listen to everything that we hear while we're paying attention to the person as we elicit their strategy so let's take a look at page 80 now and talk about how you recognise a strategy, how you actually discover what a strategy is and where it begins and where it ends. And I think probably the most important thing to discover where strategy begins and ends, and that has to do with chunking. For example, if I were going to buy something, for example, if I was going to buy some wood and I use a strategy for that, think about it. If I was going to buy something, but I only used one strategy. How would that work? Well, probably probably not the same way as if I were going to buy a car 
I mean, I don't know about you, but there's years of historical research that car dealers have done. And most people, when they buy a car, they get motivated to buy a car six months before they actually show up on the showroom floor. You know, and, and you're driving along and you don't see any other cars from that one that you've been researching. And before you researched it, you weren't seeing those cars at all. But now you've researched it, you see the same kind of car that you're driving, that, that you want to drive. But you drive along and all of a sudden you wake up and say, oh, I want a new car. You research it, you see another kind of car. And maybe, maybe you see there's lots of kinds of cars on the road. And somewhere along the way, you may run your motivation strategy and become motivated about buying a car. But typically, it takes up to six months for you to get to a showroom floor and buy a car. Whereas if I need wood, I'm going to go and buy wood. It doesn't take me six months to do that. Unless I'm running the same strategy of, as my car buying uh, strategy. So when you go to the car dealers, but, and by the way, car dealers know that it usually takes car buyers about 24 to 48 hours to buy a car. And that's why most car dealers, they don't want you to walk. They want you to stay. They want you to stay and that's why they'll turn you over to another salesperson. And hopefully, eventually, if you stay there long enough and don't buy, you'll end up talking to the sales manager. And that's because they know that you're going to buy a car within the next 24 to 48 hours. So they don't want you to leave the showroom. So... At some point, you'll have gone through the motiva motivation strategy. While you're in the showroom, you'll have gone through a decision-making strategy. And at some point, you'll be convinced to buy. Now, this is when the reassurance strategy occurs, sometimes after you buy the car. The reassurance strategy will be something, well, whatever it is, it tells you that your car purchase was a good purchase. Somewhere along the way of running the decision strategy, the decision to buy, you'll run that convincer strategy. The convincing strategy is how you become convinced that this car is a good purchase to do so. So actually, when we're doing a strategy elicitation, we need to make sure we're chunking it specifically to that particular part of the strategy that you need. So actually, when we're doing strategy elicitation, we need to make sure that we're chunking it and be specific enough, but not too specific. See, most strategies run through a similar set of sequences in a buying strategy. As I mentioned before, the first thing that happens is the person's motivation. So within a car buying situation, the motivation strategy will be longer than the motivation for buying a piece of wood. So... The first thing that happens is the person's motivation. They haven't bought yet, but they're motivated to buy. Then they get to the decision. They run through the internal motivation strategy. And when the motivation strategy and the person's motivated, and they're there, but they're not quite ready to buy it yet, they show themselves up and put themselves in a position where they will make a decision. So their decision-making strategy begins when the person is in the process of making a decision or between or among a number of alternatives. So you could be motivated for a long time and not buy. That's true. Sometimes we'll get motivated and, and there's no buy-in. Some people will make a decision to buy straight away. The third part of the strategy is the 
uh, is a convincer and that, that's actually part of the decision making strategy and that's where you become it's you're convinced it's okay to make a decision and the question is in this case how many times do we need to loop through the decision making strategy until you convince that it's okay for you to buy and by the way if you want to read more about the con convincer strategy you can read about the convincer meta program in the book timeline therapy in the basis of personality on pages 120 and 122 Okay, so the person buys in the decision-making process, and that's the final part of, of the decision-making process strategy. And the final part of the whole buying strategy is a reassurance. The question is, how do you know that what you bought was a good purchase? Some people buy after the end of the decision-making strategy, but some people don't actually buy until they're reassured. Some people actually run reassurance rather than they decide to buy strategy. So what will happen is they don't actually finish the purchase of buying until they've run their reassurance strategy and notice that they're reassured. So if, if you're a good salesperson, obviously you'll know that it's important to run the buying strategy before the buyer leaves and the reassurance strategy definitely before the buyer leaves so that there's no buyer's remorse. So there are some major strategies that we use at practitioner level. We use the buying strategy on page 80 as, as an example. And they simply are an example because most of us, whatever we do, I mean, think about all the different things that you do. Whatever you do, probably before you do something, you get motivated. And then you need to decide to actually go to different strategies. And as you're deciding, you become convinced it's okay to do it. Then once you've done it, you become reassured that it was okay to have done it. And we use the buying strategy because this is actually a very good example of how we run most of our strategies. So most of our strategies run this particular sequence. So motivation, decision and reassurance. Now, if you take a look at the love strategy, and you'll find the love strategy on page 83. So that's page 83 for the love strategy. And this is in relation to getting into a relationship. So if we take a look at that love strategy and in relation to getting into a relationship, what happens is people first have an, an, an attraction strategy. This is very much like motivation. The second thing that they do is they recognize the attraction for someone else. And that's like, that's kind of like the decision. And then they get to the time where they get together, they have to run their convincer. And then they run a deep love strategy, which is very much like the reassurance strategy. Although the deep love strategy has a separate condition, which we'll talk about too. So you get to the love strategy and you'll have noticed that the strategy is pretty much the same as that buying strategy. And most strategies do pretty much run through this motivation, decision, including convincer and then reassurance. So strategies tend to end up being very, very similar. Although there are 
other strategies, operations and ways. And I think each time you elicit a strategy, you want to be sure, first of all, what it is that you're eliciting. And if you're unclear about what it is you're eliciting, or if you don't make it clear what the elicitation procedure is, or if you're not clear and use words which are fuzzy or different words from the words that we're using here, you may have strategies that have very different results. Okay, so when you elicit a strategy, you can look at the person's eye patterns. So we cover this a lot deeper in our Master Practitioner course. At practitioner level, we mainly elicit strategies through listening to their predicates. Now, when I listen to a client's strategy, I either like to elicit them formally and go and ask the client for a specific set of internal representations, making sure that those set of internal representations are clear and that I have a strategy elicited very well. Or I'll go through and ask a client sort of off the cuff like, hey, I like that watch. Where did you get it? And the client will tell me where they got it. And since they do, I'll say, well, how did you decide that that was the watch for you? I mean, assuming, first of all, if they like the watch that they bought the watch when they were alone. And I'll say, well, how did you decide that that was the watch for you? And what they'll say at that point is they'll give me the story of how they got the watch. But also I'll be watching their eye patterns and their physiology and paying attention to where their eyes move and noting one after the other. And we'll easily be able to do this after the practitioner li during the practitioner live training. So you'll learn how to elicit strategy yourself. So when you use the script on strategy elicitation, then if we go back up to the script, where's the script? There we are. And when we look at the script, you can see, can you remember a time when you were totally motivated? Can you remember a specific time as you go back to that time now? What was the very first thing that caused you to be totally more motivated? Was it something you saw or the way someone looked at you? Was it something you heard or someone's tone of voice? Or was it the touch of someone or something? What was the very first thing that caused you to be totally motivated? And we'll go through that particular script so you'll get a sense of how that works. So here's what I think you ought to do. I think for the next few days, go and elicit some strategies. Get some friends and really practice their strategies. Elicit, elicit their motivation strategy. And the question for eliciting is, is elicit the motivation strategy is, can you remember a time when you were totally motivated? So once you've done that and you've elicited their motivation strategy, remember a specific time, the decision-making strategy occurs when someone's buying something. Usually it's a decision to buy and they'll have a convincer inside of that. And then they'll also have a reassurance strategy at the end, and that will be for the thing that they bought. So how did you know it was a good purchase? So those are the areas, and, our, and, and love strategies are very similar. In love strategies, you may want to think about ecology. If you elicit someone's attraction strategy, make sure you're not sitting in their line of sight, or they may attach the attraction strategy for you. And that's the only caveat. And it's probably a pretty good caveat unless you want to have all of your clients attracted to you, which ultimately probably won't be a good thing. Ah, yes. And one more thing. You can elicit the deep love strategy. So the deep love strategy 
And if we have a look for the deep love strategy, on at the bottom of page 83, the deep love strategy works like this. And it's one exception to the strategy elicitation series that we've got. So we're going to say to the client, how do you know someone else loves you? Do you remember a specific time when you were loved, totally loved? In order to know that you're totally loved, is it necessary for you to be taken places and bought things or to be looked at with that special look or to hear that special tone of voice or those special words? Or is it necessary that you're touched a certain way or in a certain place? So, as you can see there, you they can only answer A, B or C at question number four. And if you look for A will be a visual answer. So they need they need to see things to know that they're loved. B is an auditory answer because they need to hear things in order to be loved. And C are, is a kinesthetic answer. And it's usually what's going to set it for a person to know that they're totally loved. And it's important that if you're in a partnership that you know what your what your partner's love strategy is and what and they know what your love strategy is and so that you can fulfill each other's love strategy if they are different so if someone says well all three are absolutely important at that point you've got to find out which one is the most important and break it down so you could have taken places but not your tone of voice would that be okay or if you were touched in a certain way but you're, you don't hear that special voice, which, you know, which ones are most important. So you need to get down to very specifics on that one. You need to single it down to one. And the one thing that falls into their default strategy is how to, and that's how to elicit the deep love strategy. So here's the thing about deep love strategies. Oftentimes when we get together with someone, we... We do all of them. We do visual. We take people places and buy them things or we buy them flowers or we take them place and we look at them with that certain look and we talk to them. And that's the voice that we say those special words. We touch them in a certain way. We touch them in certain ways. But after some time, we usually fall back into our own way of doing some our own strategy. When we do fall back into our own way of doing things, which is our own deep love strategy, that can mean that later on in a relationship, that's when the other person feels that they're not being fulfilled by their love strategy because they're running their own. So it's useful to know that the person that you're with, what their deep love strategy is so that that can be fulfilled. We will talk a little bit more about that on our Master Practitioner course. So we might be able to talk there about couples counselling and Fam the family therapy models and we'd elicit people's love and deep love strategies at that point. If I were you, I'd elicit strategies from people that you work with and get a chance to get some really valuable information by elic eliciting their motivation strategy, their decision-making strategy and their reassurance strategy. So that if we ever had to talk to you on the phone or not in person, where if someone else have ever had to take over that client for a week, we know exactly how to motivate you and exactly everything that we need to do, everything that we need to say to have the client to have the same motivation that we had. I'd also elicit values and meta programs and we'll show you how to do that in Master Practitioner training too. 
so that we've got all the information available to us. And I'll tell you what, it really felt to me like it allowed me to serve my clients a lot better, knowing their strategies, knowing the way they made decisions, knowing how to get motivated, knowing how they got reassured and what they were doing was correct. And when you know your clients well, they're more likely to stay with you for longer. And among other things, it's that decision making, the reassurance strategy, the motivation strategies that would, will be part of that knowledge. And by the way, if you have trouble sorting out whether or not you're talking about auditory tonal or auditory digital. So if we have to take a look at the slide here. Auditory digital is usually your own voice and probably relates to criteria values and or price. And auditory tonal will often be someone else's voice, such as your mum's or your partner's, not someone else's. Now, the great thing is, is that we're only halfway through strategies. We learned how to elicit them. But I want to talk to you next about what makes a well-formed strategy and how you change your install strategies. So that will come up in the next audio. So thank you for listening to this and I'll meet you all on the next one.